This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how operating differently can help you overcome the pressures facing your dealership today at reyrey.com slash operate differently. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome to Daily Drive for Wednesday, May 10th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Callan Walker. Today on the show... Toyota plans to serve up record operating profits and a new EV concept. Rivian narrows its losses and reaffirms a key target. And a strike in Ohio may ripple up to Ford and General Motors. Plus, U.S. Steel makes its pitch for reducing carbon emissions and GM is buying. So they are in the process right now. They're going to secure about 150,000 tons of steel, of green steel, that will go in a variety of their platform vehicles as we speak. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Toyota plans to crank up its factories to deliver record high production, sales, and operating profit in this fiscal year that started April 1st. The world's biggest automaker is looking for a year of brisk expansion after one in which production plans were dented by lingering pandemic woes and semiconductor shortages. Ramping up output should help alleviate tight inventories in key markets such as the U.S. and create a robust stream of profits to fund Toyota's future investment in electric vehicles under new CEO Koji Sato. For the fiscal year that just ended, Toyota's net income fell 14% to 2.45 trillion yen, That's about $18.5 billion. Also on tap for Toyota this year, it plans to show concept versions of its highly anticipated next-generation electric car at the Japan Mobility Show this fall. The automaker hopes the completely reinvented car will catapult it to the head of the global EV race. Sato, in detailing the plans Wednesday, also said Toyota will invest an additional 1 trillion yen almost $7.5 billion into EV development and production this decade. That brings the company's total commitment to more than $37 billion. Driving themes for the EVs will be greater efficiency and designs that set hearts racing. The concept cars will be displayed at the Japan Mobility Show, which used to be called the Tokyo Motor Show. The event runs October 26th to November 5th. Rivian Automotive said it still expects to meet its production goal of 50,000 vehicles this year as it implements factory upgrades that will both increase output and reduce costs in the coming months. In the first quarter, the EV startup assembled just 9,395 of its R1T pickups, R1S crossovers, and EDV commercial vans. Rivian paused van output in the first quarter to introduce its in-house Enduro motor and an iron-based battery pack to the van line. That work seemed to go as planned, so CEO R.J. Scaringe reaffirmed the full-year production guidance. The industry newcomer posted revenue of $661 million for the quarter, which topped Wall Street estimates. Rivian's share price rose about 5% in after-hours trading. The company's net loss was $1.35 billion. That's about 15% less than a year earlier. CFO Claire McDonough says the company has enough cash to take it through 2025. It's hard to make vehicles go, even internal combustion vehicles, without batteries. So, 
a UAW strike at a battery plant in Ohio could disrupt production for GM and Ford. About 400 members of UAW Local 12 went on strike Monday at a Clarios battery plant in Holland, Ohio, near Toledo. The plant employs about 650 people, and it typically produces 125,000 to 150,000 batteries a week for Ford and General Motors. The previous contract expired April 19th, and on April 27th, members of the local voted against ratifying a proposed agreement. A union official said that under the old contract, workers received time-and-a-half pay for work beyond eight hours a day. But on the company's recent proposal, straight pay was extended to 12 hours a day. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, Toyota will show its new EV concept this fall at the Japan Mobility Show. But it seems like they've been so far behind when it comes to EVs. Does this even matter? Yeah, I think it's a pretty big deal. Uh, You know, with the new CEO coming in, Koji Sato, he's really put a lot more emphasis on EVs, but he hasn't really changed anything. He didn't have any new targets, didn't have any new timeframes. So now, of course, with the extra trillion yen that they're putting into the EV investment, to have this concept, have it out this year, so we don't have to wait until 2025 before we get to see this 20, these 2026 models, I think it helps show some credibility on Toyota's part. We'll see how it works when we actually see the vehicle. Can't wait to see it. Coming up, we'll hear from U.S. Steel's Chief Commercial Officer, Ken Jaycox, next on Daily Drive. Economic uncertainty, vehicle affordability, and ever-increasing customer expectations are threatening the profitability and efficiency gains you've made over the last couple of years. You may be finding the strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. You offer online options so customers can begin the buying process remotely, but your salespeople have to rebuild the deal or correct it during the in-store appointment. You ask your advisors to be proactive about calling customers to get work approved, but still wind up with occupied bays and stalled jobs when the customer doesn't answer the phone. Your business office clerks are trying to process deal jackets faster, but funding still takes weeks. The strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. Getting better at outdated and inefficient processes will only get you so far. Let's face it, Netflix isn't a household name because they got really good at mailing DVDs. And nearly half of Apple's revenue comes from the iPhone, not from the computers the company was founded on. These companies evolved as new challenges presented themselves instead of sticking with the status quo. It's time for a mindset shift. It's time to operate differently. Finding new and innovative ways to operate is essential to effectively managing the pressures facing your dealership. Visit reyrey.com slash operate differently to get started. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Automakers and suppliers have gotten increasingly serious about reducing their carbon emissions to try to slow global warming. A new front in the fight against emissions is opening up with some of the most fundamental materials of automaking, namely steel and aluminum. Mercedes-Benz this week announced plans to incorporate aluminum that produces 70% less carbon emissions than the European standard today. And U.S. Steel, once an industrial titan, now more of a scrappy veteran, has its own plans for a product that reduces carbon emissions as part of its goal to become carbon neutral by 2050. I spoke with Ken Jaycox, U.S. Steel's chief commercial officer, 
about the company's plans and the complexity of working with the auto industry. Ken Jaycox, welcome to Daily Drive. Well, thank you for having me. In February, U.S. Steel announced an agreement to supply General Motors with uh, so-called Verdex Steel. I think it's a brand name. Uh, it's the steel that's produced with 75% fewer emissions and uses 90% recycled content. How big of a deal is this in terms of like General Motors North American output? Will this supply all of GM's EVs or all of its pickups? First of all, we're super excited about this relationship with General Motors. And this was several years and conversations in the making, lots of pre-planning and long-term conversation. So they are in the process right now. They're going to secure about 150,000 tons of steel, of green steel, that will go in a variety of their platform vehicles as we speak. And we're very excited to be able to provide them, as you mentioned, Vertex, our, our, our branded green steel that will be produced uh, down in Osceola, Arkansas, in our Big River Steel Facility. What, what is 150,000 tons uh, for U.S. steel uh, or for U.S. steel's GM business even? I, I'm sure you already were, are supplying them some. Is this going to be 10% of your GM business or half of it? How does it fit in there? Yeah, so this will be right around 15 to 20% of our total GM business, so a fairly significant amount. So the supplying to GM starts later this year. What all goes into setting up a new supply arrangement like that? So we've enjoyed a long-term relationship with General Motors and certainly have worked with them very, very closely in their planning. And they were the first mover to come say, we're very interested to further our ESG and our sustainability goals. And Green Steel, we think, is part of that solution and part of that equation. So it started about a year ago and really talking about finding capabilities that allowed us to work together understand the facility, understand the products that could be made in there to support their needs. I would view this as a first step, not a last step or a final step, but a chance for us really to begin the relationship and work with the mill down in Arkansas to support uh, GM. Well, I would think demonstrating that volume of output and proving it out over the years with the, the quality and the price controls is a crucial step. I guess ultimately you want to get to um, 100% carbon reduction or, or something like that. What does the future look like? What's the future state of a steel industry that's carbon neutral or within spitting distance of carbon neutral? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, we, we started really a couple of years ago thinking about where we want to be as a company and how we want to commit to the environment and commit to where we sit from a sustainability perspective. For us, it started with our net neutral uh, carbon commitment for 2050 and making that big, bold announcement about where we want to be in the future. And there's a lot of heavy work that's going to be required to get there. You've seen us make a change between being purely an integrated steel manufacturer, as we do today in the Mon Valley in Pennsylvania or in Gary, Indiana, uh, through the acquisition of Big River Steel down in Arkansas, and announced in 2021 doubling the size of that facility, going from 3 million tons to 6 million tons. Again, all electric arc furnace produce steel. I think that's part of it. Uh, there are certainly other technologies that are emerging. There's probably technologies being worked on that we haven't even seen commercially yet in steel making. But we believe very strongly that this is the future. We certainly believe in supporting people and planet and doing the right thing for the environment. We're going to take every opportunity that we can to do it. The other piece of it is it's a customer requirement. You know, our partners expect these solutions for us, and we know that 
were critical in them being able to get to the goals that they want to attain. So we need to keep our ears open and listen very actively for where our customers are headed and how we can connect with them and their solutions for the future. Are you supply constrained on Vertex Steel? Or maybe I should say, how supply constrained are you on Vertex Steel? Yeah, so this is a great question. We're limited supply with Green Steel. There's only so much we can produce, and this is what's required us and our customers to think a little differently in the way we do business. It requires a lot more pre-planning, a lot more forecasting, a lot more of us understanding where they want to be and not necessarily for next week or next month or maybe in some cases next year. This takes us to multi-year planning with our customers because there is a limited amount of this product that's available in the marketplace. So if by 2030 GM wants to go to 500,000 tons or Toyota wants to match that, you would need many years of planning to uh, get all the facilities in place and and the power supply as well, I presume. I think it's one of our biggest challenges. It, you know, the automotive marketplace is a little less than a third of our total business. Other industries are also very interested in green steel, particularly in the renewable energy space where you see solar players that are reshoring back to the United States and other manufacturing wanting to come back to the U.S. They're all looking for American-made product low carbon-based products, sustainable solutions, and sustainable supply chains. So there's a bit of a race to be able to look at capacity and, and really partner in a way which is going to require us all to work a little differently than what we do today. Consumers definitely value a cleaner, a greener approach uh, and inputs to their products, but they also value a monthly payment that they can afford. I mean, how much more does green steel cost to make compared to traditional steel? Yeah, so the the good news is we're working every day to try to pro produce the most effective and efficient product that we can make. There are differences in the way we produce product. Uh, there are differences certainly between the integrated material and what we see coming out of an EAF. We're working really hard to make sure that we're able to provide a competitive solution and it is going to come down to a competitive marketplace. We know that. So this is about trying to find the best of what's good for the future, what's good for the planet, yet what's also going to be good and affordable for the consumer. And we've got work to do to continue to to improve upon that path. So you're not going to give me a simple number. It costs 10% more or 100% more. I'm not going to give you a simple number on that today. Um, that's a relationship we keep and hold very closely with our customers uh, for all the reasons that you can imagine. But our jobs are to make sure that folks have the option to go green and do that in an affordable way to be able to produce the products that they're going to produce. And we certainly see those that are that are using our more traditional ways as well. Well, and I, and I do know that steel isn't a simple commodity. There's so many different grades and, and uh, composites and versions of it that you can produce uh, that, that it's not a, not as simple as I would like it to be uh, for the sake of the podcast. Here's the neat thing, though. When you think about a vehicle that's being produced, you know, 3 to 5% of that total vehicle is the steel that a steel manufacturer is producing. So mm. you have an ability to have an all-green solution in that vehicle at a very, very low-cost premium that what you might see against a traditional, uh, you know, traditional steel solution and be able to make that impact in green steel. And we think that's a step that a lot of folks are interested in and committing to right now. Looking at the market a little more broadly within automotive, you know, in the previous decade, Ford made a big deal out of its F-150 having an all-aluminum body. Uh, since then, I know steel has had a lot of good wins in the auto space with 
composites that can be lighter and stronger, uh, but still cheaper than aluminum. How do you go about selling steel versus aluminum to automakers? I mean, I think for us, it comes down to really two pieces. And I love to make the sustainability comparison of aluminum versus steel. Uh, you'll see a significant uh, greenhouse gas emission difference between the two materials. Steel leading that and winning that every day and all day. And we think that steel is a product that's infinitely recyclable, where aluminum is not. So from a sustainability and a greenhouse gas emissions and what's good for the environment, check mark next to the steel category versus aluminum. I think at the end of the day, though, that also comes down to the engineer. And what is the engineer looking to achieve from a strength and an elongation perspective and ultimately get the type of product that they're looking to try to produce from a, a vehicle standpoint? Our engineers are working really closely with all of our major customer engineering teams to get the most out of that steel material. And when you transfer over into things like electrical steel and other material, uh, we feel really good about where steel is positioned and we'll let our customers ultimately make that choice. We're here for them. We're here to support them. Uh, and we're certainly going to do our best to help them make those decisions. Before I let you go, I want to step back even further. You know, with the name U.S. Steel has quite a legacy, right? Uh, with its founding story, including legendary names like Andrew Carnegie and Charles M. Schwab and J.P. Morgan. It was the world's first billion-dollar company. It was the biggest company in the world. The steel industry has been through a lot in the past hundred years or so with World War II and post-war period, a lot of labor strife and all that. What is this company today and what is this industry like today? It's a great question, and it's an industry that we're incredibly proud of, and it's a company that we're even even that much more proud of. The reality for us that we come from an incredibly storied history, but for us, everything's in the, in the front view. We can't get to the future fast enough, and that's really where we live our, every day. We've announced our, our long-term strategies and what we call our best-for-all strategy, which is the best of the mini-mills and the best of the integrated mills being deeply connected with our customers, being deeply focused on what's good for our people, what's good for our shareholders, and what's good for the planet. So we'll build on that history, and we certainly come from a lot of traditions and uh, a safety-first culture, a customer-first culture, but we really think about our next 150 years, not the last 150 years, around where we can take sustainability and the ability to produce the lowest carbon, most differentiated steels on the planet, what we can do to enrich the communities that we work in and live in through our varying facilities across the country, and how do we partner with our customers to reimagine what this world can look like by producing the best products on the marketplace. So the future is bright, and we're super excited about it. New challenges for a new century. Ken Jaycox, Chief Commercial Officer, U.S. Steel, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Jamie. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to automotive news reporters Hans Grimel, Lawrence Eiliff, and Abigail Hamm for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on EVs, earnings results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. 